Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. On today's podcast, we are talking to former Army Judge Advocate David Bean, and David currently serves as the Assistant Vice President and Senior Counsel for AT&T in the Washington, D.C. area. So, David, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Tom, for having me. And thank you for making your time available today to talk about your story of transitioning from the Army JAG Corps to a number of things since you've left the Army in January of 2018. So, David, just to kind of sort of calibrate our listeners, you graduated from law school, Washington Lee, in 2013, correct? Yes. And then you went right into the Army. Yep, uh, went right into uh, good training at Charlottesville and Fort Benning. A remarkable change from the easygoings of a uh, 3L year. <laughs> what is it that you did when you were in the Army? Like uh, I know so many of the listeners, there were various jobs with short spans and long spans, but started off in legal assistance, working with whether it be pro se divorces or wills, etc., small disputes. Uh, then moved to be a special victim counsel for about a year And then I transitioned to a regiment, battalion level, as a trial counsel, then deployed with the 3rd Cavalry Regiment, moved into an operational billet. Came back to three corps at Fort Hood at the Great Place and uh, closed out my time in administrative law and also uh, ethics advisement. So uh, within that period of time, touched a lot of different areas. And uh, as we talked before we came on the air, your decision to punch out of the Army after four years and seven months was driven by slash of family professional considerations. Is that an accurate statement? Absolutely. My better half, my spouse, Olivia, she is also a practicing attorney. And uh, although we both really enjoyed our time in the JAG Corps and still some of the most fond memories, it just made sense professionally for us to settle down to a single homestead or, or final homestead and uh, allow us both to uh, successfully pursue legal careers. So you came back to Squire Patton Boggs uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. What kind of law did they practice or what kind of law did you practice there? There I moved into uh, international arbitration. Our group's main focus was assisting foreign countries and their different ministries in understanding U.S. law and regulation, also international humanitarian law, in which I drew heavily from my Army experience working with different NGOs and the U.N. while deployed. In addition, did a lot of government investigations, white-collar investigation stuff, too, as a side hobby or practice. (laughs) Side hobby. How was it that you came about to be on Squire Patton Boggs' radar, or did they come on your radar, and that is a job that you pursued? For those of us that maybe have done international law and have worked with NGOs and says, hey, that's kind of interesting, how did that come about? The first word that comes to mind is hustle, just continuing to reach out to a lot of different folks. What I started getting in the habit of doing is going on to law firm websites 
and doing word searches of who was a veteran and then reaching out. And some of the best words of advice that I received were whether Navy, Army, Air Force, Marine, the veteran legal world is very small. And sending out those introductory emails and willing to make connections, I would say as a, as a positive result, there were many more people that were willing to have conversations than not, or at least would respond. There were a couple former judge advocates who were at Squire Patton Boggs that linked me up with this group. And really the unique environment that the military afforded as far as doing international operations, not many <laughs> law firms have that kind of background, definitely uh, helps set aside with that. I will say too, my aperture or scope of what I was looking at because of the very background of my military practice, I didn't know it was going to be international from where I was going, but I definitely felt that I had that skill set that was applicable to what they were looking for. Comfortability, traveling to the Middle East or dealing with different cultures and customs. I mean, also too, and I think most people at law firms would say this, I mean, half of it is faking it till you make it. (laughs) How long was your search? How long did it last? When did you pull the trigger on really start searching? And when was it that you had a job in hand? Was it a soft landing? Was it jumping out of the plane and hoping that chute open? Take us through that. I would say that it was about a year in the making of reaching out and making different connections, looking at different jobs, also trying to understand, too, my exit strategy of getting out of the JAG Corps or you know terminal leave, all that, and seeing that it married up with the time that I'd be applying to the jobs. But I would say there for an eight-month period, there was a lot of different emails sent, conversations had. My wife is originally from the D.C. area, so every time that we came out here for family functions, tried to set up meetings with folks, at least introductions. And I also thought it was helpful at law firms every time that I would meet with someone is, who are three other people that you could introduce me to or that I should be speaking to? And that was uh, very helpful uh, as far as that. But it it was a long time making and also getting a lot of collective different advice of different opportunities that were available law firms that fit my background, and then just making those connections. So you you get here to the D.C. area, you start as associate there. What was the work-life balance compared to what you were experiencing in the Army? Everything that folks would uh, say negatively about the billable hour is 110% correct. (laughs) Uh, You live in increments of time all of a sudden that are very different from military time or at least military practice. To achieve those hours, I would say the work-life balance definitely does go out of whack for a bit. It is adjustable, though, particularly for those that have deployed or been on any sort of mission. You know, some weeks you're, you're putting in the 10 to 12 hours with, you know, without blinking an eye. And again, too, I would say that the military practice, too, that you have a sense of confidence that you know that you're going into a problem, that I, I can solve this problem. I've solved actual bigger problems in the military that had far more impact. And that, two, not afraid to ask questions or get your bearings of the facts, which I, I think there were a lot of folks in the law firm who were afraid to ask questions, right? They would just go, well, I'm going to go do as I was told and spend eight hours researching, which maybe it was completely pointless without asking some questions and, and pushing back on it. But the work-life balance was a little bit hectic. Also coming from Texas to D.C. was also a change, too. 
so being the, that lifestyle we live where we change jobs every two to three years or, or sooner and we do different things, you're saying that being used to being the new guy and asking for the pass down and for the gouge actually was very helpful. Absolutely. There, there's that comfortability of that there, there's pressure that's going to be applied. There are deadlines, but at the same time, you know how to handle yourself and asking the right questions and making sure that you're working within the system to, to get the answer. And again, you can take this wherever you want, but I'm just going off your biography here, profile on LinkedIn. So you spent about a year and nine months there, and then you moved on to Day and Zimmerman. And take us through that decision, that process of changing from one firm to another. Uh, Absolutely. So Day and Zimmerman is a a privately held defense contractor. It was uh, an active decision to move in-house. They were somewhat of a client of Squire Patton Boggs, and I knew that they had openings within their ranks. I would say for all of those that have been at the brigade level or squadron level, regiment level, it was exactly like being the brigade judge advocate. That is the time that I most appreciated. Not that I ever was a brigade judge advocate, but I liked working as the trial counsel within the the brigade and having that opportunity to work with HR, to work with finance, to work with operations, to come up with those problems. That is the experience that I wanted. So moving into the corporate environment not necessarily the C-suite corporate environment, but supporting the C-suite with legal guidance. And that in particular, I would say the biggest hump in in my career to get to where I was now in-house counsel, the the hardest part was getting the job with Squire Patton Boggs as far as as getting into the larger law firm and and dipping my toe in the water there to then say, yep, I've I've done the baptism by fire. Uh, I've been to the the big law, if you will, and now I, I can move out of it. And I would say the military experience has been incredibly valuable, and I would encourage all folks to understand that corporate America is desperate for those that have military background. One, the caring for the people, to know how to interact with people. Also, understand to be brief and succinct when you're briefing on significant issues, and also your military view of how things need to rank in order of important to unimportant are impactful for corporate America. They have the same internal thinking as we have in the military side. So I would highly stress that to folks that are looking for jobs out there, that corporate America is desperate for veteran support. (laughs) So Dave, one thing that you did not say in your military experience, and I know you guys get this at your, your basic lawyer course, or either one of these places, was contracts. Did you do contract law in the Army or at either one of these places? Uh, I did do I did do some contracting, not uh, for contracting command under the Army, but at least in the deployed environment supporting the contract component. And I only ask because myself as a Navy guy, we don't get into contracting or acquisitions. They steer that to the Office of General Counsel. Since you didn't focus on contracting for the descriptions that you were doing so far, gives hope to the Navy brethren that don't do that necessarily, that they could find employment, meaningful employment with corporate America. And so now you moved over after two and a half years almost, you moved over to AT&T. Was that just another opportunity that upward and onward or uh, you were ready for a change because of that military experience? In my view, I I really enjoyed Dan Zimmerman, highly encouraged uh, because I know they're a growing entity. With AT&T, it was just an opportunity for growth as far as working for a telecom that had been around for 100 years. In particular, I support a program called FirstNet, which uh, provides uh, the telecom services to first responders. 
also heavily involved in law enforcement issues uh, and communication issues while also having the interplay of government contracting and, and corporate America. And to your point, though, as you're saying, Tom, with I not having the significant contract background, it was still just at least the familiarity with how the government worked, which we definitely get in, in the different billets that I think came through on spades that no associate at a law firm has that kind of experience, again, which I think is valuable going into this. How did you prepare for the interviews with these companies in particular? You know, you hear that, that the interview should be more of a conversation. You are going to get questions. You may get situational. How would you react? You may get, tell us a time, but you should also have done some homework about the company and engage them in a conversation. Do you have any advice on sort of the things that you focused on when you were looking at these places? Uh, absolutely. Uh, for Dan Zimmerman and AT&T, heavily looked into what government contracting they had been involved with as far as what were their large government contracts and understanding what kind of familiarity I would have to have, not necessarily with how cell phones work, because I still can't tell you how they, <laughs> they do, but understanding what AT&T does to support the government and why that contract exists. I think having that kind of familiarity and weaving that into an interview is important. Uh, I think the other part, too, is whether it was managing a paralegal staff or working on a brigade team, having that ability to say that you're a two-for-one pick, right? That you will bring legal understanding knowledge, right? You've got the degree, you've practiced for years. And then secondly, you'll have the leadership to support the organization. That's the other thing that I would continue to weave in. I also think a tip that I was given early on that I thought was very helpful as far as translating to corporate America is so much of corporate America, I think, focuses on numbers and statistics as far as when they break down a resume, that showing what you did to support something in terms of reduced, you know, so many claims per year or helped retain, you know, post-investigation, retain $3 million in, in government savings or I'm making up lines, but those kind of bullet points and then weaving that into that, not only would I be a business asset, but also a legal asset. So leadership, let's talk about that. I've heard more than one person who has either retired or gone over that we bring a leadership aspect and a skill that our contemporaries on the outside don't necessarily do, and we don't appreciate it because we're drowned by leaders. What does that leadership look like? How do you demonstrate your leadership? You already talked about taking care of people, understanding that they have needs and that, for lack of a better term, you have a position of rank where you can help them achieve, I'm reading into it, personally, but also taking care of them. But how else do you demonstrate leadership and how do you quantify that when you're crossing out from the military into the civilian world? You've already identified money savings, but you know a lawyer is in a supporting function. And unless you're an SJA and you have, how else do you demonstrate that? It's a long-winded question, but how do you communicate that leadership to potential hires? I think talking about mission success is an important part. And I think also highlighting to your point that it wasn't a supporting role in the sense that my contributions helped get from X to Y in this situation. One example that I would bring up in any interview would be when they asked when you had a challenging time or something like that, talking about there was a point in time that when we were in the deployed environment that we were trying to get the release of congressionally obligated funds 
to support the Afghan national police to build outposts to further protect us from incoming fire from the Taliban. And the main point that I brought up in the interviews is they never asked me to get involved, right? The the lawyer was never asked to interpret what the legal statute was, how do we get from point A to point B. But my point was, is that I did get involved and not necessarily upset the apple cart on this, but supported our S4 in getting the logistics together that, wait, we can get these obligated funds. And two, there's a bunch of stuff waiting for them in Kabul that we can have transferred down and answer this problem. Talking about the real life impact of that was the lawyer, you know, I maybe was 5% of that, but I stayed involved in it for the the 100% of it shows the fact of, I think for corporate America, that's what they're looking for their legal counsel, that you are going to bring that 5% that brings that success and that you demonstrated the value at the end of the day that that's why you kept me on the team. That's why you brought me into the meetings. That's why I'm listening to everything because I saw that you needed to interpret that legislation right there. Someone is giving you bad information on why you can't use those funds. And these are, in fact, the funds that you can use. I wasn't a, a procurement guy, but figured it out because that was the problem that we needed to jump upon. And I think to most corporate America, legal is going to be seen as a cost center that is a burden that they have to carry around. But if they have, you know, Dave Bean or Tom Wells showing up to every meeting to listen in and take in and then give that 5% that gets them to success that pays for itself fully. So hopefully that kind of answered the... <laughs> no, I think it did. And, and, and sort of thing that was resonating with me is the fact that you know, Army, you know, I, I spent some time with Army units, uh, MNFI in Baghdad, and as well as in Guantanamo, is that you're not in a office, call me when you have a problem. You're in there, in those staff meetings, talking to operations officers and talking to commanding officers and trying to help them solve whatever problem it is that's a hindrance. So that that's what I really took away from what you were just talking about. And, and that's that's spot on. I mean, to this day, I mean, I, I still go into the office at least four days a week, the type thing, and still going up and down the halls, checking in with folks the same way that I would at brigade staff, right? Uh, uh, and that's something that I think is indelic to the military of, of what, how we practice as attorneys to make ourselves available to support. And that's something that corporate America needs. And certainly not to speak poorly of any of my colleagues, because I'm very fortunate and have a great team of folks. But I know in the past, I've seen that attorneys sit back, wait for someone to call them. They're used to the billable hour where they're going to get that phone call. They'll do the work for eight hours, and then they're done. And they give you the end product and they walk away. And at the end of the day, that's that's not very helpful to, to what they need. I know what I wanted to ask you, David. So I'm looking at your, your resume. You were at Squire Patent Boggs till September 19th, about six months before the big pandemic started. How have things on the outside changed as far as a practice? And I'm asking this question as you are sitting in your bunker at home. So Tell us about how the landscape has changed as far as in the office versus the ability to work from home. Absolutely. I would say, I mean, the world changed, I know, for everyone and and stating the obvious so much going back to to 2019, 2020. I would say the the biggest change for folks that are looking to make the jump now, and I, I didn't touch upon this earlier, but 
heading to Washington, D.C. was incredibly fortuitous for my future career. You've got a lot of law offices up here. You've got a lot of contractors, defense contractors, government agencies that all are familiar somewhat. When you say you're a JAG or you're military or veteran, there's some familiarity. I mean, the Pentagon's a stone's throw away, right? But what I think changed so drastically and, and is a great opportunity for so many is you can be living in Omaha, Nebraska as an attorney and maybe have to fly into offices every so often. But I know that whether here locally, I know personally AT&T or Capital One or I'm trying uh, Raytheon, I just saw, they're requiring that people have complete flex hours. And the fact that you can work from home and be involved I think also changes the landscape because I know that when we're now looking for attorneys, it's no longer just in the DMV, but it's even more fortuitous if you're coming from a different salary range throughout the country, that's something that you should be selling. I can be your corporate attorney out of DC, but you will get to pay me Nebraska rates, whatever that is. And so I do think that is a selling point now that is advantageous to those looking to make the jump that you can sell all sorts of things that I think previously are difficult. You know, I, I started at AT&T during the pandemic or as the pandemic rages on. And I will say that it, there are some bumps in the road as far as trying to make inroads in the same way that I would have typically as far as trying to become that force multiplier as the attorney on the team. But I don't think it's impossible. And I think it's, you know, carving out time on people's calendars, setting up, regular check-ins and so forth, it's still achievable even in the virtual world. But taking that time to, to get out in person, I would say is still important. But I do think as far as as, as for the, the folks listening here, considering that transition, I don't think it means moving to DC. I don't think it means moving to one of the main areas. I, I know when I left Dan Zimmerman that they were looking for attorneys throughout the continental United States to serve that had a, a military background to possibly make it a more fulsome resume, right? So uh, I, I think that's a great game changer. What are things that I didn't ask you that you want to raise or make a point of? And I, and if you don't have any, that's fine. But I want to make sure that you have, as I stated, carte blanche, your floor to pass David Bean's thoughts. I, you know, the one thing that I'll, I'll double tap on again and, and just say that really opened my eyes is, uh, again, the, the military legal community is small when you get out, but it's also very close. Don't hesitate to ask the favors or ask the questions of folks to make those introductions. And to, to if you're interested in corporate America, AT&T loves veterans. There is a veterans employee resource group. It's thousands of people. And even if you reach out to someone that isn't a lawyer and ask, hey, can you introduce me to a lawyer on your team? They can make those connections. I know I personally have talked to other attorneys that are serving in reserve billets, right? And that connection came through our employee resource group. The same thing was at Dan Zimmerman. So I would just say that I know that it's a bit daunting at first, particularly when you go to these websites and you're putting in your resume and you're trying to do the reach out, but having that connection, don't be afraid to, to use it and to, to ask for, for help because uh, there was most likely someone that helped that veteran out beforehand too. So I, I just think uh, that would be one thing that I would really, that, that resonated with me and uh, even made it more special of, of serving the country as, as so many, uh, all of your listeners have, I know you, Tom, just made it a, a nice add-on of the fact of 
wow, that there are people out there that do support this small community. Not to hammer on that too hard. Uh, I also, uh, too, uh, if if anyone, I, I open myself up uh, more than happy to talk to anyone or try to make connections as much. Uh, again, D.C. is a sm- small environment, even though it's a big environment, the swamp, as it, as it were. I don't think you can underline it or emphasize it enough. To your point, you are a guy, you are a connection that I made from someone who reached out to me to say, hey, I'm listening to your podcast. Uh, thanks a lot. And we just had a uh, uh, sort of a dialogue back and forth when I was at our community pool last week. And he said, well, you know, I can give you some names. And so you were among those names. And I do have some takeaways. I mean, there is, especially for guys like Brooksy and the Shawshank Redemption who have been institutionalized, your view and your perspectives are, are you know, you don't have it because you've never been on the outside. And so some of those things that you've just dispelled and some of those, the information you put out, it, I personally am thinking, oh, that's that's something that I need to uh, to take on board and follow up on. So as always, I've learned something uh, new from the guests. And, uh, you know, yes, you are a veteran, but you're also a veteran of the transition process. You've done it. I haven't. And there's other people like me who have not done it. So your your time and your guidance is invaluable. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It was an honor to be on here. And, and thank you, Tom, for, for uh, putting this podcast together. Uh, it's fantastic. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.